This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with Ryan Kennedy and Ken Campbell, brought to you by Christian Hockey, our sponsor. Want to apologize? Off the hop, this podcast is not technically a live stream. Had a little bit of technical difficulties, but you can still see us if you want to see us. You can still listen to us talk hockey. It's just not live. It's the next best thing, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to start by talking about the attack that happened on the weekend. And I've said to you guys before, I don't think it's too strong of a word to say attack. Robert Bertuzzo yeah. on Victor Arvidsson. Cross-checking incident. Two different cross-checks. First one, and then Bertuzzo looks up at the officiating. He's upset that he's getting a penalty. And then he proceeds to cross-check Victor Arvidsson again in the lower spinal area. Arvidsson's out for, I believe, four to six weeks, if I'm not right. mistaken. four to six, yeah. And it's a four-game suspension for Robert Bertuzzo. So let's start with that. How do we feel about that suspension? Do you feel that the punishment fit the crime in this case? No, and I'm sure Ken, you agree with me, but I don't. Oh, yeah. I don't think four games was enough. I would have gone at least ten, uh, because of the insolence of Bortuzzo, the fact that he did look at the ref and do it again. I mean, this is a guy with a track record. There's an injury, and it's a long-term injury. Obviously, it was something premeditated because he looked at the official and did it again. So to me, it seems like this should have been a long suspension. I agree. I'm just going to wind you up. I'm going to wind Ken up first. (laughs) And go. Go. I have had people who work in player safety come to me in social situations and say, the thing that bothers us the most about what you write about us is that you claim we don't care about player safety. And they, they really get their back up about that. Well, you know what, guys? You don't care about player safety. This was a terrible, terrible p- call by George, the violent gentleman, Peros. This is this is this is a this is deplorable. It's embarrassing. It's an awful call. Like I don't know if you guys saw the the Brock Nelson um, cross check that that Bortuzzo did on Brock Nelson, the one he got fined for. Mm-hmm. It was almost as bad. Like what did it like? What do they have to do? What does a guy have to do to get a suspension in this league? Mm. You know, and the thing that the thing I don't quite understand is what game are these referees watching? Like the Kerfoot's the Kerfoot hit from behind. This one, they were minor penalties. I know it's in real time, and I know it's a difficult game to watch. But you got you've got two referees. These guys are looking right at it. Like, how do they give Robert Bertuzzo a minor penalty for the first cross check and nothing for the second cross check? How do you give yeah, game Alex misconduct intent, to, intent not just intent to injure yeah. successful injury? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Success at injuring. And Alex Kerfoot, how do you give two minutes for boarding for that call? How does that happen? Yeah. Especially the the Kerfoot one which we'll get to, that one almost looked worse in real time than the actual play. So you'd think that the penalty would be stronger yeah, for that one. Right. Uh, the, what really bothered me about the Bertuzzo one, uh, it's the second cross-check. It, it's just so clear. The intent is so clear. It's not a hockey play, and that's something that, you know, Paris has talked about, that he really wants to get out of, of the games, that are the non-hockey plays. And when you when you stop and look up at an official and then say, you know what, I'm going to double down on this, and there's no intent there other than to hurt Arvidsson. It's such a malicious act the only intent is causing harm. To me, that should be a 15-game suspension, a 20-game suspension, yep. something very significant. And that's not even factoring the fact that 
Arvidsson was injured. And per the CBA, if a player's injured, that should lengthen a suspension. So that, that's crazy to me because that implies that was this going to be just a two-gamer if Arvidsson was not hurt? I don't understand mm-hmm. it. I think it was it was just so cut and dried, so clearly violent. Uh, the only problem is, and this, this is something that I've always struggled with and I've talked to people at the NHL before trying to understand it, but it's like there's this weird battle between the NHLPA in, in the sense that if you try to ban Bertuzzo for longer and, and hand him a big suspension, you know, we've seen the appeals that have happened before with guys like Tom Wilson. The PA represents the perpetrator's right. interests. There is no one technically representing the victim when it's being discussed. Like, mm. If the PA is coming to the table, the, the, the only person representing the victim technically is the NHL, the Department of Player Safety. And I don't think that this ruling is protecting Victor Arvidsson. It's kind of protecting Robert Bertuzzo yep. to only give him four games for that. Yeah. Okay. A uh, couple of things to unpack with that. Number one, you're absolutely right. Like if if Robert Bertuzzo had given, been given a 20-game suspension, he would have appealed. Yeah. Why doesn't Victor Arvidsson, why can't Victor Arvidsson appeal Robert Bertuzzo's four-game suspension? Yeah. That would be awesome. Why yeah, can't why not? Victim impact statement. Yeah, exactly. Why can't he do that? And secondly, you know what? I'm, I'm getting sick and tired of hearing this stuff about the PA, okay? So what? So, so you suspend him 20 games and it gets cut back to 12. That you've still got a major suspension. And secondly, you know what? Put the NHLPA in that spot. Put them in that spot where they have to defend an action like that. Like, like, how do you, how do you defend yeah, the indefensible, it's, it's right? And it's absolutely indefensible. So if the PA wants to wants to defend an action like Robert Bertuzzo on another one of their own members, mm. then go ahead, fill your boots. Yeah, it, it, I just it just blows my mind. If you get four games for a deliberate like spine check, and it's so clear what the intent was, if that's only four games, I mean, what what are you looking for? What are you waiting for? That's going to be worse than that. It just it's crazy. Uh, Alexander Kerfoot, of course, gets two games for the hit from behind on Eric Johnson. This is one that I found a little tough to kind of unpack because it's very clear he had a, a long look at the numbers. So that's the that's what really causes suspension. Yeah. He had, it's not like one of those plays where the person being checked turns his body at the last second. Like his Kerfoot was staring down numbers the whole way and, and lettering on the jersey the whole way. But I also thought that the way Kerfoot kind of fell into him he looked like he was a little off balance and almost like not trying to drive his body into him that hard. So that element I was unsure about. I'm kind of foggy on whether this was a suspension or not, but I'm curious what you guys think. I think, you know, it's funny. We just talked about Bortuzzo not getting enough and and safety not being considered on Arvidsson's behalf. I'm okay with the suspension here because even if Kerfoot was off balance, as you said, he was still looking at numbers that whole time, and yep. nothing good was going to come of the result, whether he was balanced or not. In this case, I think that there is some justice for Colorado in knowing that Kerfoot yep. will have to think again You know, in a similar situation. He gets the two games, and, I mean, Kerfoot, this is not like something he's known for. I don't think we're going to have a lot of problems with Alexander Kerfoot in, in, in the future, but at least it sends a message out there that they are watching these kind of plays and that they are dangerous and that they are taking them seriously. That's why it's so incongruent with the Bortuzzo. Like, it literally happened the same weekend, yeah. and you have two completely different results. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with the Kerfoot one. Obviously, with Bortuzzo, it wasn't long enough. Yeah, like, I mean, with Kerfoot, it was reckless, not malicious. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I mean Bortuzzo was... Malicious. It was almost as though he looked at the referee and said, oh, well, you're giving me a penalty for this? 
oh, well, I'm, if you're giving me a penalty, I may as well earn it now. Right. It's and, so defiant. Yeah, yeah. It and, bothers and, me, yeah, man. And, and it really anyways, bothers but, me. But, but, the, but the, the Kerfoot thing was, I, I don't think there's any, you know, I don't think Alex Kerfoot is that kind of player that has sort of malicious, you know, DNA. Especially against his, old, his, yeah, old, team, his yeah, old teammates. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so it was, it was reckless. And you know what? You have to pay when you're reckless. You have to pay when you make mistakes. Yep. Even if it's a mistake, even if it's a complete mistake, and, and there was no malicious intent, in society and in sports and everywhere, you pay for your mistakes as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, looking at the scoring race right now, it's pretty spectacular just to see the degree to which Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are running away with things. And that's despite the fact that, you know, Brad Marshall and David Pasternak have been unbelievable this season too. Um, but right now we've got two teammates uh, in very strong position to finish 1-2, uh, you know, health permitting in the league and scoring. The last time that happened, I don't even really count this one. It was Martin St. Louis and Steven Stamkos in 2012-13, but Sidney Crosby missed the last dozen games. So that wouldn't have really happened, right? It's kind of it, it did happen technically, but it's sort of the like phantom scoring title that St. Louis won, but it was kind of going to be Crosby's. Uh, but the last time it actually happened, honest to goodness, was Mario Lemieux, Yarmer Yager in 95-96, 161 points for Lemieux, 149 for Yager, and third place was 120. So to me, the question is going to be for you guys, when was the last time you saw a, di- a duo this dynamic at the same time in one season? And my answer is going to be that Lemieux-Yager combo because of the fact they were lapping the field together. And mm. Lemieux was still somehow at the peak of his powers, even though you know his back and he'd overcome cancer by that point. Yager was on the rise, he really hitting his prime. Mm-hmm. And they were magical that year. So they're my pick, I think. For for I think I think McDavid Drysaddle could be the best in season, single season duo since those two. Well, mm. stylistically, I don't know of any comparison. I, I like I, I don't know you can, if you can compare compare anybody stylistically, because not only is Connor McDavid the best player in the world, I think he's the most unique player who's ever played in the NHL. At he this could be, point. he could be. He he really is. Like his talent and speed level and what he does is so unique that I don't think we've ever seen this before. And, and so so stylistically, I'm going to take a pass because I, I can't figure it out. But I guess I guess in terms of the last time we may have seen this, and, and they weren't this dominant, but uh, I'm thinking Paul Correa and Timo Solani in 96-97. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Solani had 50... Wait till Grandpa puts his glasses his down. Glasses. Here. I don't know. Fifty-one goals and uh, hundred and nine points. Sounds and right. And Korea had ninety-nine points, and, and that that was interesting because neither of those guys was a center, right? Right, right. Like they were, they were both wingers, so they drove that line. But you know, over the years, there's been a lot. Uh, there's, you know, I mean, I go back to the days that I was a kid watching hockey. There was Jacques Lemaire, and both of his line mates, Jacques, Jacques Lemaire and, and Guy Lafleur were incredible together, and Jacques Lemaire and Steve Shutt were incredible together. Steve mm-hmm. Shutt scored 60 goals mm-hmm. as a right winger, had the had the record for the longest time for the number of goals by a right winger. Uh, another two I would say would be um, Brian Trotche and Mike Bossy uh, with the Islanders in you know late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of where I'm at on that one. All right. When I think of dynamic duos, I, I, I go with Hull and Oates. Mm-hmm. Brett Hull and Adam Oates with the St. Louis Blues in 1990-91. They were man-eaters. Anybody? Got when when Oates got yeah. traded, this guy gets for it. Craig's guy gets it. <laughs> the headline when he got traded for Jenny was it, he's gone. Yeah. Oh, well. I assume. Might have been. Yeah, Probably. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mine was better. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah. Uh, what's, what's fun for me is you look at the numbers that year. Brett Hull had 131 points. Adam Oates had 115. The next highest... 
teammate was Jeff Brown, the defenseman, at 59. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. literally half. That was Hall's 86 goal season. Right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. almost literally half what Adam Oates had. And, I, I mean, it was just such a great combination because Adam Oates, one of the best playmakers, Brett Hull, one of the best goal scorers of all time. Yeah. It just yeah. it just made so much sense. Yeah. And, yeah, for me, I, I think that it was just such a perfect combination. And, uh, and obviously, they had the fun nickname as well. For sure. And there are a lot of honorable mentions out there. I mean, you could say Gretzky Curry, of course, is yeah. legendary. Yeah. It's, except that, you know, like Bernie Nichols also scored 70 goals playing with Gretzky, right? So it's like Gretzky made everyone a dynamic duo. Mm. Like, like it, if I was on his line, it'd be like the Gretzky Larkin dynamic duo. I would have gotten <laughs> no, like 16 no, goals. No, no. Yeah, I would have no. gotten 16 goals. No, because uh, no, <laughs> Gretzky, Gretzky could have shot at yeah, least 16, 16 pucks off, off my head. His, yeah. And, well, yeah, because he would have had a huge target. Look yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm saying head. I didn't say leg. Like I said head. <laughs> the goals would be legal that way, too. Uh, also, these guys weren't technically line mates, but they were on the ice together a lot, and that's Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito. In terms yeah. of guys who were rewriting the record books simultaneously, right? Mm-hmm. Esposito at the time was scoring the most goals and points of anyone in history, a 76-goal season, and then Orr, of course, was just rewriting the record book for defensemen. Mm-hmm. And that kind of reminds me of what you're saying about McDavid, a guy who looks like no one we had ever seen before. Right. And Orr right. was that on defense, right. Right? right? So I think the two of them, because they were going supernova at the exact same time, mm-hmm. Orr and Esposito. Yep. Uh, and, and there are other examples like, you know, Gretzky Messe or Crosby Mal. Gretzky but they're not coffee. line mates. Gretzky Coffee. Right. Gretzky Coffee is a good one, too. If you're going to go, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think sometimes it's like the Oilers get downgraded because they had so many good players that it's hard to single out, too. Like the Oilers dynasty, I mean. Uh but in Crosby Malkin, in terms of career impact, or Kane Taves, but again, those are guys that don't always play on the same line. Here's one. Gretzky Lemieux, 87 Canada Cup. Ooh. Uh, no, he's... Uh, yeah, <laughs> for one, one magical tournament, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're at give or take the the quarter mark of the season. Uh, teams are you know every team's in the twenties in games played. Some have played twenty, some have played twenty five. Uh, so let's revisit our Stanley Cup picks. And I want to know: Are you sticking with whoever you picked a few months ago? Are you looking at a new team, or has anything changed? So we'll start with you, Kenny Boy, on this one. Yeah, I can't even remember who I picked. That's the problem. I but, think we all picked Tampa. Yeah. Okay. So let's say we picked Tampa. I no. No, I'm not sticking with them. <laughs> I, I'm I'm going with the Washington Capitals. They just look beastly right now. John Carlson is going to win the Norris Trophy. Yep. Um, Alex Ovechkin's <laughs> going to score 57 goals again. Jacob Vrana, like that guy, is just busting out in a huge, huge way. Tom Wilson's Tom Wilson, um, and they're getting and they're getting far better goaltending this year. Mm-hmm. Far better goaltending. I and I just they just feel like. Okay, yeah, okay, we had that sort of setback last year because we had won the Cup the year before, but it just kind of seems like, okay, guys, this this seems like a pretty good year for us to put it all together. I, I don't know, I just I just see them as a as a huge, huge force. Mm. I, I made this prediction. I want to say it was in the Hockey News pool book, but it might have been yearbook. I never remember because we do a lot of predictions. But I'm going to stick with it. Toronto versus Dallas Whoa. in the cup final. Oh, that's my. cute. Yeah, but Hot here's the take. thing. Here's the thing. His microphone is melting. Oh, after you, after two games with the new coach, the Leafs are <laughs> but just you know all it's of a sudden you know it's the funny. best team in the league. Is the reason I made that pick before the season, and I think somebody else in the office was like, what, with Babcock coaching? I'm like, no, no. 
Yeah. Babcock's not going to be there at the end. Nice. Wow. And if you think about it, and you you know we've talked about this before on the podcast, so many teams lately have won the cup after firing a coach during the year and rode that. It happened literally last year with Craig Berube in St. Louis. It's that adversity. And you look at the team on paper, and yes, you know, Toronto probably needs a little more talent on defense. However, with the forwards they have, and if Freddie Anderson can be that guy in net in the playoffs. It's a big if. It's a big if. Yep. But Sheldon Keefe has brought in the good vibes, and maybe this is the culture change they needed to unlock a magical run. Looking at Dallas, they get off to a horrible start They've to the season. Really now they're unstoppable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's a team that has all the elements. Number one center, Tyler yeah. Sagan. Number one defenseman, I'll say Miro Heskinen, but there's also John Klingberg. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. nice you have a debate yeah. over who your best defenseman is. And then Annette Ben Bishop with an excellent backup in Anton yeah. Kudobin, yeah. which is crucial these days because you want your starter to be yeah. fresh for the playoffs or... If you need him in the playoffs because Bishop goes down, at least you've got somebody that you can trust as a pretty good backup. So Dallas has the elements. They have a nice mixture of speed and size. And I'm just saying, we never it never happens the way we think it is. Right. It's never Tampa versus Winnipeg. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No matter how much yeah. we want it to be, because on paper those are the best teams. So why not Toronto Dallas? Okay. Why That's not? what I said. Why not? And if that happens, like we should take you to that place in Buffalo and allow you to get as much parm as on exactly we're going to <laughs> chefs as, as you want like we're going to chefs and we'll pay for it because that would be brilliant like if that happened and it all unfolded that way I'd be like yeah well, I'm not you never know. I'm there not you go. anything, anything yeah. happened right after the Blues last year uh, I, I want to give a shout out to my hot take pick of, of Panthers Avalanche that's still looking okay because the Panthers have been like kind of yeah. decent okay yeah, yeah. so that's still my like weird gut feeling hot take pick uh, my official pick though was Tampa and I'm going to stick with Tampa and for, for almost backward reasons right they're actually really under the radar they've had minor injuries to mm-hmm. a lot of their star mm-hmm. guys Braden Point was slow coming back and Kucherov's been nicked up Stamkos is nicked up mm-hmm. they've only played 20 games like every other team's played 25, 24, 26 Tampa's just sitting there with 20 games played because right. they, because of the travel they've had to do, yeah, they, so they're sure. sitting there like dormant. On I think they're eleven seven and two, dormant in the standings because the the lack of games is sort of suppressing their yeah. record. Uh, and this is a team that I think that they're going to peak at the right time now. And then we saw it with Washington a couple years ago. They won a couple mm-hmm. Presidents trophies in a row. They were peaking too early. Yeah. Uh, that's what worries me about like for example Boston this year. They're dominating and they had such a long year last year going to game 7 of the final. I worry that Boston is a team that, you know, on paper might be the best team in the league right now, but maybe they're going to be the one that runs out of gas come, you know, May June and I think Tampa right now, they're finally getting that adversity. They're going to have to play more meaningful games during the season. They're not going to be lapping the field so far ahead of everybody. And even these little injuries are almost giving miniature rests yeah. to them, their star guys. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like they're going to have more in the tank. <clears throat> they're not chasing the 62 wins anymore. Uh, and I think they're actually going to kind of... like I, I don't feel like I'm even playing it that safe by picking Tampa, which feels good. Like I think they're almost... Are they a sleeper at this point? Yeah, well, they, they are starting to put it together. They, yeah. are, I think they've won four of their last five, so they are – I mean, they're coming around. For and sure. we all knew that that was going to be the case, or we suspected that would yeah. be the yeah. case. For it, sure. just, it seems like – especially just because they haven't been, they literally haven't been playing very many hockey games that they've been a bit forgotten, but I think they're going to rise slowly but surely. Uh, looking at 
the firing last week, of course, of Mike Babcock, but there are a couple other teams with coaches on the hot seat, and you know, there's been a lot of talk. We've talked about Calgary already, but uh, I've seen a lot of comments coming through on Twitter, stuff like that, about the Nashville Predators, and they've been really struggling of late. And some people are wondering if it's Peter Laviolette's time to go. Uh, so what do you think is the problem in Nashville right now, and are you worried? Do you think this team needs a major change, or will they get through this? What I'm worried about is, to me, goaltending has been a huge issue yeah. for them, and it's not just Pekka Rene's fault. UC Saros is also not playing well. That's the troubling thing. It's not like you can say, okay, well, maybe Rene's done and Saros, you know, we always thought he would be the successor, so now it's just happening now. But... Rene has an 889 save percentage. Saros has an 891 save percentage. So they're basically the same mediocre results, no matter who's in net. I mean, they're getting scoring. Romeo Yossi's a point per game player. They've got you know scoring up and down the lineup. It, you know, it, Philip Forsberg. You know, he's missed some games, but he's basically a point per game guy as well. They're not a bad possession team. So. I look in net and I say, I mean, Peter Laviolette doesn't stop pucks. You know, he can't do that. So I, that's that's my take on the situation is that their goaltending needs to turn around because it's killing them right yeah, now. Yeah, it, do, it does. But, you know, I, I like Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis, but they can't be your top two scorers. Yeah. And and I think, I think what's happening in Nashville is what's happened in the past that we thought this was over now when they went, went out and got a lot of these guys is that all of, not all of it, but m- much of their offensive thrusts comes from the back end. I mean, Philip Forsberg is the only point per game forward they have right mm-hmm. now. Um, so I think they've got to chip in a little more. Um, so I, I think that's part of it too. And I think they're just, they're a good, not great team. And Yossi's, um, a for- Yossi's basically a forward. He's a rover. Yeah. On the yeah, ice, yeah. Which can, I wonder if that, does that hurt the forward sometimes probably because probably, the offense it probably is hurts running production yeah yeah probably hurts our production uh, as far as coaching change i would say no um because and the reason why i say that is because for as much as david Poyle's a cowboy when it comes to trading guys mm-hmm. he'll trade and trade and trade till the cows come home he's not a coach firing guy mm. he has been a gm in the in the in the nhl for 37 years you want to take a wild guess how many coaches he's had Ooh, this is fun Let's see. Um, so, well, this trots and lavy. I just want you to guess. I'm gonna say four. I'm gonna say four. Five. Well. Five. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Well, Brian and Terry Murray were technically the same guy. Oh, okay. So yeah. So they're one. <laughs> then Jim Schoenfeld. Those were his only three coaches in Washington, and his two coaches in Nashville are Barry Trotz and Peter. He's not a guy that makes a move like yep. this. Mm. I, if anything, I would suspect. I would suspect, I mean, Kyle Turris has been a healthy scratch for, what, the last three games or something? I would suspect if anything's going to happen in Nashville, it's going to be Trader Dave. Dave's going to get on the phone and, mm. and make a deal, yeah. not not uh, not not fire his coach. Interesting. I, I have a different theory because I, I went in, so I did a little digging, thinking that goaltending was the problem as well because I saw PK, or PK, Pecorine's <laughs> numbers, and they look pretty ugly. <laughs> but what's really interesting is, okay, so the Predators have the worst penalty kill in the NHL. And their actual regular five-on-five analytics, they're still one of the better teams in the league in terms of preventing good quality chances. And I said, well, how is that possible? Because Pecorine's numbers are so terrible. So I look closer. Five-on-five, he has 928 save percentage. And on the penalty kill, Pecorine's save percentage is 681, which is more than 100 points worse than the next worst guy in the league. He's by far the worst 
shorthanded goalie in the league. So what's happening is it looks like goaltending is a major problem, but it's actually the penalty killing that's leading to just these horrible breakdowns. Or you could say the other, the other I guess the other theory is like, no, no, Rene's is really bad on the penalty kill. That's why Nashville's not. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but I mean, he has to move a lot, yeah. right? He has to yeah. move a lot more when you're yes. killing penalties. Yeah. So, so I think you fix yeah. the penalty kill, then you're going to get better goaltending because of the fact that right. Rene's been really good at five on five and his expected goals against uh, is fourth best in the league. So that implies like the quality of workload is not high. Like it's teams are not getting high percentage chances on him. Mm. So that's why he's been good at five and five. But of course on the PK, Nashville is just imploding. Mm. So that makes me wonder, maybe it is coaching. Do you need to bring in someone who can help fix the penalty kill? Mm-hmm. Alternate theory. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to take some mailbag questions now. And this first one is a lot of fun. I love this question from Kyle Congdon. Congdon, Congdon. Uh, Kyle asks, in 20 years, who will we consider the better player, Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid? That's such a tough question because, you know, Crosby has built this legacy. He's such a well-rounded player. He's won almost everything you can possibly win. And I think he's very close to being top five all-time type of player. He's right on that cusp. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot for Connor McDavid to live up to. But at the same time, I'm so excited just to follow what's going to come of McDavid's career because Mm -hmm. he's doing things for his age that only Wayne Gretzky has done. So he's the, he and Gretzky are the only two players to ever win two scoring titles by 21 years old. And if McDavid wins this year, he and Gretzky are going to be the only two players to ever win three scoring titles by 23. So that means like it is it's going to be it's a legitimate discussion. It Crosby, really I don't know if McDavid will ever be as well-rounded as Crosby uh just at every little element of the game. Uh but at the same time, you know, McDavid's still only 22. And Crosby was not that well-rounded when he was 22. So there's time for McDavid to develop those aspects of his game. I I just wonder if, you know, because Crosby's offensive peak also coincided with when he had some major health problems. So he lost out on winning some scoring titles and he might have won. So in terms of just the trophy case, McDavid has a chance. McDavid has a chance to be an all-time legend in that top tier because of the fact he's literally doing things that only Gretzky has done, and I, it blows my mind. It's so exciting. So that's I, I'm not. I know I'm not really answering the question, um, but I'm I'm just saying that it's a discussion and it's really close. Okay, yeah. I'm I'm gonna say Crosby, only because number one, I don't think the NHL is going back to the Olympics. Right. So there's mm. two Olympic gold medals that Crosby has that Connor McDavid will never get. Yeah. And Crosby now has three Stanley Cups. I, I mean, there's a lot to play out here. Is Connor McDavid going to win three Stanley Cups over the course of his career? Mm-hmm. He might. He might win more. I don't know, but he hasn't done it yet. So I, I'm, I'm going to defer to Crosby still, just because of the Olympics. And I mean, as much as the World Cash Grab of Hockey is going to be such a big deal for uh, for the NHL, uh, it doesn't have the same it doesn't have the same cachet as the Olympics. Um, so on that, I'm going to go with Crosby. Yeah, I would. I had a similar thought about the international resume that Crosby is probably going to beat out McDavid when it comes to Olympics and things like that. But I'm going to say that I do think McDavid can catch or surpass Crosby. And, you know, I was watching Edmonton play Vegas on the weekend. And as good as McDavid is offensively, and he is sublime, you're starting to see some really nice defensive traits in his game, some really nice forechecking, and the advantage that McDavid has is that he's the fastest guy in the league. So as he continues to evolve as a player, he's not going to lose the offense. We know that's always going to be top shelf, but I think he can become an elite defensive player because he can get on you so fast, and he's so smart, 
and he has such great anticipation that he knows where to go, he knows where to be before the play even gets there. So I think he has all that capability where, you know, we know Crosby is an elite defensive player and he should probably have a Selkie trophy by now. But I think McDavid can get there. You know, we've been talking about Crosby as a 200-foot player more so in the past couple of years because he's done everything else. And, you know, we know the Selkie would be important to him. But again, McDavid's already so young and he's already starting to show that he could be that guy too. So I think that might tip the scales for me if we're talking about in 20 years. McDavid's career at that point will be over. I think we'll be able to look back and say... McDavid did everything that Crosby did, but he had X amount more yeah. hearts, art Rosses, so, whatever it happens yeah. to be. Maybe McDavid even wins a Selkie or two at some point. I think the upside is there, and uh, and I like to believe in upside. So th- this is interesting because now then what do you do? Like is it uh, when all is said and done, is it is it Gretzky, McDavid, Crosby, Gretzky, Crosby, McDavid, ahead of Howe, ahead of Rocket Richard, ahead of Bobby Orr. Yeah, I don't know. And this debate, oh, it's great. Good. I mean, it's it's essentially the you know the Kit Kat versus the Arrow Bar debate, right? How is that a debate? That's a great debate. Arrow? Which one's better? They're both amazing. What? That's like Wayne what? Gretzky versus Robert Bortuzzo. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> the Arrow no, Bar. Not. What? The Arrow Bar. Bubbles? Arrow wins. Arrow Bar is the one that everyone leaves at the bottom of the Nestle yeah. Forward Box. I You're, still, I still have arrows here from Halloween if you oh, want them. I'm taking them all. I, no, actually, actually, yeah, I, yeah. I literally insane. I ate two little arrow bars right before we started this podcast. So, I just, <laughs> so you just you just yeah. completely I just embraced Robert Bertuzzo before I came in. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying arrow bars are bad, but they're I mean, amazing. Let's just not get cared. I'm just saying here. like Snickers is like a whole other level that you're not even dealing. That's peanut a meal replacement if you need <laughs> one. Yeah, peanut butter cups. Or are oh, you, are you, peanut are you falling for, for the branding of Snickers though? That's a meal replacement because that's what they want you to believe. No, right? because when if I you're was hungry, a, you're Joe Pesci. When I was yeah, a poor, yeah, yeah, when yeah. I was a poor college a meal student, replacement. yeah, when I was a poor college student, I would literally have a Snickers bar at like midnight because I was, you know, I was hungry. <laughs> After having dinner, of course, at like you six. would have a Snickers bar. <laughs> yeah, so I would have a Snickers bar, and okay. then I would go home. Fair enough. Uh, we I don't know how that turned into that, but what was I'm okay with it. I'm yeah. pretty cool with it. McDavid yeah. is Snickers. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair. Uh, we've got a lot of Oilers questions today. This is one I need to give it a little bit of airtime just so this guy can get his shots in, but then we're going to move on because we can't talk about nonstop Oilers here. Uh, but David David just wants to get this out there. In the Oilers season THN preview, Matt <laughs> Larkin chatting it. how bad the Oilers are, and Ken Campbell laughs and says, your team sucks. Care to comment <laughs> and, then, and then talk about <laughs> the Oilers KHL level of goaltending. Here's the thing, David. Uh, you know, the Oilers have been great this year. Uh, a, for a lot of the year, their peripherals were not matching how they were actually playing, so I'm still skeptical that they're going to be this good all year, but McDavid and Dreisaitl have been amazing. Under Dave Tippett, you're getting some more reliance on guys like Ethan Bear, and I think it's it's changing the look of the defense core. Oscar Kleffbaum is having a major career resurgence, but here's the thing. We were wrong, and we were yep. right about a ton of stuff. We we're going to be wrong about some stuff. Like, I think I wrote a thing of, you know, which teams are going to get in that missed the playoffs last year, which teams are going to slide out. Last I checked, I had them all right. That's six for six. So You sucked in the playoffs last yeah, year. Yeah, it's like I, I was terrible in the playoffs, but there was another year where I, where I ran the table. It's, it's hockey, man. You, no, you just, it is. You're going to get some right. You're going to get some wrong. And yep. Every year there's going to be a team you get wrong, and that fan base is going to be like, oh, you oh, care to revisit? Care to revisit? Like, yeah, sure, we got it wrong. And, and again, we're going to bomb out on some other pick next year too. It, it's part of it. And the other thing is, 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 if we, is if we do that, it does indeed mean we hate your team. We hate them. We hate you, and we hate oh, everyone. We have a personal bias. Everyone in your family. Yeah. So 
So, yes. yeah, but but and the it's other the bias thing, news, not the, the hockey. Other, the other thing you didn't mention with Edmonton too is Peter Shirelli's looking pretty smart. Miko Koskinen, Miko Koskinen, Steven yeah. in the background just whispered. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's Koskinen. looking like I like that contract at the time. I was probably the one. Okay, okay, stop yeah. talking, Steve. Okay, Mr. Alternative. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I would also say, you know, Tim has been a huge factor, but also I think a real super early turning point for these Oilers was the Adam Larson injury because that yeah. happened right at the beginning of the year, and that could have been an utter disaster. But this team came together. They were structured. They kept winning. You know, now Larson – back and they've got guys like Ethan Bear and I thought I, I think Caleb Jones is playing very yep. well yep. as well where it gave guys an opportunity to step up and they stepped up and I think that's crucial because these Oilers teams of the past always seem to wilt when there was some sort of adversity like that this is a different group yep. and it's funny because it's you know I mean the the big guys are still there there was, there was some pretty significant roster Mm-hmm. Overhaul. Well, yeah, there was that little trade they made. Yeah, yeah, the James <laughs> Neal trade worked yeah, out pretty little, well. That little deal they made. Yeah, <laughs> but this group, it feels like they're in a great headspace, and they are working for Dave Tippett, and McDavid is leading by example, and I think it's just a lot of good vibes, and that they've stepped up to the plate. Okay, mm-hmm. excellent. We're going to do two more questions. We'll get to them pretty quick. Uh, first one is Cody Stefanis. Cody asks, is the sample size big enough now to start calling Jordan Bennington an elite goaltender? Uh, you know, in this world, this version of the NHL, it, it's yeah. so rare for a goalie to even string together two good seasons that anyone showing any any form of consistency year to year, I think, is elevating toward the top 10 of the yeah. position. And yeah. I think Bennington might be in the top 10. I'll put it this way. If Team Canada made a team today, I think Bennington probably makes it. Like, who yeah. are your goalies? Your goalies yeah. are probably Carey Price. I don't know if Braden Holpe would make it anymore. Flurry. Maybe Price, maybe Price, Flurry, and Bennington? Yeah. Like, Bennington's yeah. a Stanley Cup winner. You could say Matt Murray, too. But I think he'd be in the discussion. Um, the thing with Bennington is just the way the Blues play is they do a great job of limiting the quality of chances on him. So he does have the benefit of a great team in front of him. But, you know, so does Tuka Rask. We still respect Tuka Rask as a great goalie. I, I'm pro-Bennington. I was going into the season. I, I didn't think he was a fluke. So I'm a believer that he is becoming one of the better goalies in the league. Yeah, and I and I think I think if last season didn't cement it, this season has. Yeah. I think you're right. And I and I, I was wondering. I, I didn't have a prediction, but I was wondering whether or not Jordan Bennington would be able to do what he did last, you know, because it took him a while. I mean, it yeah. takes a lot of guys a while, but it, it took this guy a while to get where he where he was, and now it looks like now that he's there, it looks like he's he's going to be there to stay for at least a little while. I mean, I've I've been saying it for like the last five or six years. We're just guessing. We're just guessing with goalies. Yeah. Everybody's just guessing. Yeah, you know, when when you can get Devin Dubnik for nothing and he does what he did, like everybody's just guessing. Yeah, yeah and I think the fact that. Teams have a book on Bennington now, and he's still producing. That to me kind of seals it because I was the same as you, Ken. I wasn't sure if this was yeah. just a matter of the new guy taking everybody off guard or if there was actually something there. I think there's something there, and Absolutely. you know the Blues might be very good defensively, but I mean Jake Allen will tell you it's not always easy playing <laughs> goalie fair for enough. St. Louis. Yeah, fair. So enough. I think it is if you, now for him, yeah, he's making three point four million to watch games. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> But I think I think you can have that little comparison and say, like, all right, at least some of it is on Bennington. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. And by the way, if you want a really cool breakdown of Bennington's game, uh, our scout, Tom Thompson, 
Uh, he does a, a, a thing called Versus in every issue where he compares two players. And our current issue, the goalie issue, is a, has a really awesome breakdown of Bennington versus Matt Murray. So I highly recommend checking mm. it out if you have that magazine or see it on newsstand. Uh, last question is from Lace em Up Podcast, the rival hockey podcast. Hey there, Lace em Up. Corey Crawford has played decent for the Hawks this year. Robin Lehner, however, has been a cut above, owns a 938 save percentage, facing 30 to 40 shots per game. What do you think happens with that tandem between now and February? Surely they can't keep both beyond this year. To me, this is the exact scenario that the Hawks were dreaming of happening. What they wanted mm-hmm. to see, mm-hmm. Leonard's much younger than Crawford, has a much less checkered health history, physical physical health. Of course, Leonard's gone through his own issues mentally, but he's doing really well with it now. Uh, and I think the hope is because both guys have, have expiring contracts. This was a prove-it deal for Robin Leonard. And if he could have a monster year, then it's, just, it's Chicago's way of finding out, okay, yes, this is our guy. We can roll with him now. So I, I have to think that Crawford's time Maybe up as a hawk. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. But I can't see Chicago wanting to lose Robin Leonard now because on some teams that aren't that great right now, on a team that's not that great, he's still playing really well. Yeah. So I think he's showing last year was not a fluke. Right. And and you, I mean, that's the same as the Bennington thing, right? Like he had a great year last year and then you're waiting to see what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And he's obviously followed that up by, by playing really well again this year. Mm. Um, the only thing is, is I... I I'd really like, and and you can't unless the situation changes, and they're not going to trade Corey Crawford at the trade deadline or anything stupid like that. But, but like, I, I just it'd be interesting to see Laner in that you know cemented, absolute, undisputed number one role and see how he reacts to the, mm-hmm. you know, to like a fifty-five, sixty game mm-hmm. stint, right? And you're not going to know that until you put him in that situation, and that won't be this year. It'll probably be next year. So yeah, here's here's my proposal. You re-sign both of them, but Laner gets the longer-term big-money deal. Crawford is re-signed to maybe just a one-year deal. And you sort of say, Corey, you have been phenomenal for this organization. We've gone through it all together. We got rings. Laner is our guy right now, but we want to respect what you've brought to the table here and all those years together. So we'd like to keep you on as the backup. You're going to play 25 games next year. You know, health has been an issue. So I think, you know, for Crawford, it's like, okay, well, why not stay with an organization I know and love? I don't have to be taxed too much health-wise. The Blackhawks, they don't have anybody banging down the door in their pipeline. You know, the goalie prospects they have are still several years away at least. So you don't have a lot of urgency in that respect. But you've got a tandem that's working pretty well, and if Laner's on a long-term deal, maybe it's even better because he's not even thinking about that stuff anymore. He, he would have his established home. You've got a lot of good <clears throat> players coming up in front of him, in forwards and defense, so that Chicago's going to get better in the coming years. I think you make that offer to Crawford and say, you've, you know, your family here. We don't want to trade you. We want to see you retire as a hawk and have a and, job and have a job after. Exactly. And be Goalie in the, stay in the organization. Exactly. Yeah. Stay in the organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. want you to be that's a, a hawk. That's a really good idea, Ryan. That's I like a, that's that a idea. good. I, I love that. There you go. Yeah, that's I'm really sold. good. I was thinking maybe like would he ever would he find his way to Montreal to sort of end his career where he's from? But I don't with. with with Kerry Price there and right Kerry now, Keaton, yeah. and then, and yeah, then Caden Primo. Primo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you I think you nailed it, Ryan. Great idea. 
Well, that is it for this podcast, and we'll be back next week. Hopefully, we'll be live again. I'm sure we'll get the technical issues figured out. I'm going to guarantee it. I'm going for it. I'm, <laughs> right. I'm pulling Mark Messi 94. I already fixed them. Oh, Stephen says he already <laughs> fixed it. So I did it. I did it. Nailed it. Guarantee it already came Good true. Good job, man. There we go. Okay, everybody. Thank you for listening, and thank you to our sponsor, Christian Hockey.